Season 12 of Mention and Dispatches is rolling on. We're up to episode three. The semi-irregular occasional co-host Mike is back. Mike, how you doing? I'm good. I think so. This we're up to three. So am I two out of three now? Or you're at two out of three so far. Yes. Okay. And the and the record we're trying to hit uh this year or this season is? Uh you know, you've got to keep track of your own statistics, dude. I do on my channel. I'm asking you. This is yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to go back and look, uh, to be honest with you, because I'm not really sure. Uh, but either way, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about the guests because they're the important people. That's who folks actually show up to hear. Because, you know, hearing you and me rambles, nothing special. But we have Amabel from Hollenspiel back with us. It's been like a year and a half, two years, something like that. It's been a little while. Oh, long. yeah. It's, it's, it's been a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've had you on a live show more recently than we've had you on the podcast. Uh, uh, maybe that, that sounds about right yeah yeah but since it has been a while there's been a ton of cool stuff that hollenspiel has done since then and uh and and there's cool stuff coming up and so we're gonna pester you about all of that but but i do want to note uh just quickly and for the record when steve from blue panther showed up at our fall assembly back in october he brought a handful of games with him that he was selling through gamers armory uh, as kind of a consignment thing with them because he couldn't really set up a Blue Panther booth inside somebody else's store. That would have been weird. But but he brought a handful of games that they put into inventory at uh, at Gamers Armory, and uh, and a couple of them were Hollenspiel ones that sold out in like a day because uh, <laughs> uh, that others may live was there, and there was some table battles, and there was something else, and they all went pretty darn quick. And part of it might have been a little bit of the novelty factor of, hey, this is something different. I haven't seen this on the shelf before. But look, I mean, you guys make good games, so of course they're going to move. But yeah, they went pretty quick. So it's That's just cool. Here. Thank you. I know your your whole model is like a print-on-demand model, and so they're not even hitting, you know, print on the giant Dr. Seuss game machine until somebody places the order. Uh, but it is still cool to see Hollenspiel stuff on a store shelf on those rare occasions when we do. And so it's, it's always kind of neat to go, hey, wait, I know those people. That's That's mm-hmm. cool. So um, but I did. I didn't know if Steve had ever mentioned that to you. But I. Thought oh, I mean, he would. He would have reported the sales, but I, well, I wouldn't have realized that he had sold out of what he had brought. You know, yeah, that it was in a store at a game convention, kind of a thing. So yeah, yeah. But but no, it was it was kind of cool. It was uh, something we wanted to make sure had been brought to your attention, and uh, it sounded like Steve failed. So we'll we'll cover for or, him. Or he told me, and I forgot. My memory is not. You know, I I have maybe 80 games that I've designed that have been published. And then, you know, I've done development on 50, 60 more. And I don't remember the rules to my own games. I need to look them up whenever someone asks a question. My memory is terrible. So it could be, Steve does like to talk. So it could be Steve. (laughs) Could be Steve told me this in detail and I just forgot. Yes, that that might be the truest thing said on the podcast tonight. (laughs) Steve does in fact like to talk. And so I, I am curious, I think you've said something about this in the past on, on either one of your live streams or one of your little quick hits that you've you've put on the site. What is the best-selling Hollenspiel game of all time? Wh- which Table one's battles. your guys' top seller? Table Battles. The original one? Mm-hmm. is uh, yeah. How much of that is, it's just been around the longest, how much of that is the design itself, how much of that is, it's just, you know, kind of cool, or you guys promoted it a little more? What, what what do you think the staying power there is? Um, I definitely think, uh, well, it, it has been around for quite some time. We published that in 2017, and it was like our 18th game we had published, uh, or 19th. And um, it did catch on pretty quickly when it came out, you know, and I hadn't, I hadn't 
really had that experience with one of my games before. Mm-hmm. I just kind of had middling sales. Uh, earlier that year, I had released the um, first Supply Lines game, which d- did do quite well. And that was, that was quite satisfying. But um, Table Battles was definitely a, a whole nother level there. And, you know, it has some... It's close thing we have to a flagship title, you know, uh, these mm-hmm. days. For a while, I would have said Infamous Traffic was that, a Cold yeah. Worldly game we published. And that was our bestseller for some time. Um, but, uh, you know, once we once it left the collection, uh, Table Battles was the number two spot, quickly moved to number one, and has since continued to sell. Um, you know, Mary doesn't like me talking numbers. but <laughs> I we, wasn't asking for specific numbers. But, so, but, so. We, but we, we sold over a couple thousand Table Battles, which for, for a print-on-demand operation, that's pretty good. And then on top of that, of course, we have um, six expansions that have been released. Uh, one more that's releasing in a few days, so will be released probably by the time this podcast comes out. Uh, we have two spinoff series, one of which has an expansion already, you know, so it's, it's been a, a very popular little family of games, and I think I think a big part of it was we got we had a lot of word of mouth about it, because it's a game you can play in 15-20 minutes. Yeah. Now, yeah. some people, it takes them an hour to play it, because they get stuck in like these these loops, which <laughs> just, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but, um, you know, you release a game like Supply Lines that takes three hours to play, and then you need a read a 12-page rule book. Um, it takes a little while to get, once it's out in the world, for people to start playing it and talking about it and chatting it up. Whereas something like uh, Table Battles, where there are, you know, four pages of rules, sets up immediately, plays in 15, 20 minutes, people are playing it the night they get it. Yeah. People are yeah. talking about it the night they get it. And that kind of snowballed into some really good word of mouth for it i think i remember in a previous incarnation of the war game hq at origins we actually had a table battles tournament that we ran not long after it came out i remember being at the table battles tournament that's right correctly yeah that's right that was like the one time we got you to show up at origins (laughs) i i looked a little different then yes but uh yeah well, no, I, I stopped by Origins a couple of years after that and stopped by and chatted, but I wasn't really like attending, attending where I could. Yes. I'm just not a big convention person, you know, generally. Like, I'm not, I deal with like social interaction. Like, I, I, I have my fill very quickly. Yes. You know, um, but uh, no, that that was that was a fun time. That, that's when, uh, that's when I met uh, Doug. Uh, mm-hmm. Miller, who um, went on to be a developer for a Horse and Musket series for most of it. He ended up uh, stepping back from it um, in the last volume or two, but um, and I got to meet and talk to uh, Ardwolf, Gary. Yep. Yeah, he's, he's, he's real uh, fun to talk to. Talk about Traveler a lot. He really likes Traveler. I remember that. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah it, was, it, was, it was a fun time. Um, fond memory, you know, and yeah, okay. I, 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 I come back again some year. I don't know. I, my big thing is, um, uh, so my my partner um, is immunocompromised, so I oh. don't go to conventions that don't have like mandatory vaccination and masking policies just to protect her. Because if I get sick and she gets sick, she goes yeah. to the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. So, and those are yeah. good places to get sick, as I can speak from experience. <laughs> I, 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 every time I went, when I went to Constant World, I came back sick when i went to a wbc i came back sick this was all you know uh, last convention i went to was in 2019 you know yeah um and i would get sick every time and i tell you uh since since 2020 i've only been sick like once yeah and it's really good to to not get sick two three times a year yeah. actually 
I, I don't know. I look, I, I get it. And, uh, you know, n- never mind the sickness piece, which, which is a legit, like, no shit health concern. Just if you've got, you know, if you're one of those folks that burns out quickly from too much social interaction, being in a building with 17,000 other gamers isn't going oh, to yeah. help that. <laughs> It's, no, not at all. So, so I get. I I remember uh, <clears throat> one of our other one of our fellow dragoons from up in Minneapolis. Uh, Martok has been on the podcast a couple of times over the years. Uh, Martok's first ever game convention of any kind was a pre-pandemic origins when there was still a pretty large crowd there and uh and yeah you you could see the shell shock after like three hours on his face he was just so overwhelmed and uh and i felt really bad for the dude because he got stuck on the wrong side of high street when the pride parade came through on that saturday morning he'd he'd run across to north market to grab a bite to eat and then got stuck over there when the parade came through and couldn't figure out how to get back across the street without just breaking through the middle of the parade which he didn't want to do yeah, just, just enjoy the parade. Well, yeah, he did. But I, I think he had a scheduled event he was trying to get back to. And so we were, we're we're talking to him on a cell phone with a parade in the background, trying to give him audio, you know, voice directions of like, go down the street to here and like go into this hotel and there's a sky bridge. You can walk over the parade. And he calls mm-hmm. us back like 20 minutes later. He's like, I think I'm in the wrong place. And we're like, well, where are you? And I'm looking at the state capitol, which is like a mile and a half down the road. Oh no. All right, we're around to come back. We're gonna send somebody to come find you. (laughs) So so yes, I I totally get the whole, you know, being overwhelmed and it's just too many people and you're just completely peopled out after like, you know, an hour, hour and a half. Um it's not something I suffer from, but it's something that I am I am empathetic towards because I've seen it its effect on other people. So I totally get like I don't want to be around that many other gamers. Like I, I get it. Yeah. Just I'm I'm spitballing here, but I I would guess like Horse and Musket is probably pretty far up there on that bestseller list as well. Probably not um, too far behind Table Battles. So uh, as, as if I add up all the stuff in the series together, I think it's pretty high up there. Um, it's high up there generally. But hang hang on, give, give me one second. I, I will not give you number numbers, but I can give you like our top yeah, ten. Yeah, and and and, and I don't want to I don't want either one of us getting in trouble with with Mary for like no. divulging numbers we shouldn't so um. yeah no i no i uh, you know a, a big part of running a business with um you know someone that you were <laughs> married to and have uh broken up with is keeping the peace yes <laughs> you know <laughs> just the sheet with the, with the sex. Luckily, you'll be editing this <laughs> this part out. So this, this is where I'm, where I'm looking for. I may just leave this here and play the Jeopardy theme underneath. It. Okay. All right. So so yeah, our our number one is table battles. Our number two is so uh, number two is Agricola, Master of Britain. Okay. Number three is Wars of Marcus Aurelius, another solo game. Yep. Number yeah. four is Charlemagne. Another solo game. Number five is Supply Line. Number six is Stilico. Another solo game. Number seven <laughs> is NATO Air Commander. There's a theme. Another solo game. Number yeah. eight is Horse and Musket. That's where Horse and Musket kicks in. Yeah. Number nine is Field of the Cloth of Gold. And number 10 is This Guilty Land. Okay. Still, that's that's impressive that it's still up there so yeah yeah I mean, horse masks are the most expensive game right yes um yes. and and in terms of like war games it's not 
the most expensive game that's out there. But for, you know, us being a smaller publisher, I think I talked about this before when I was in the podcast previously, you know, we basically are selling the first Horse of Musket at, at cost yep. as a loss leader for the other titles in the series, which which do sell, you know, fairly. Basically, anyone who buys the first Horse of Musket, they're not always going to buy the second one, but like, like, like over half buy yeah. the second one. And that's actually a pretty good conversion rate for an expansion, especially like an expensive box expansion like that. And then some of us buy the third one, and then some of us buy the fourth one. And some <laughs> of us buy- <laughs> You're leaning into where I was going with that, which is, you know, a lot of folks will buy like the first thing in the series, and then they're in the tank for the rest of the series, and they're going to go for the rest of it. I, I know that number one is not the only standalone game. Like, you could grab number three as a standalone game if that's got the battles you're interested in, can't you? Well, no. Uh, number uh, so, so number one's the only standalone. Yeah. Okay, so like, all the others you got to have number one. Yeah. Now, we did try to design it so that each of the box expansions uh, you need the base game for, but you don't need the other expansions. So if you're just interested in, like, the Napoleonic Wars, well, you just grab Volume 5 then and the base game. You don't need okay. to worry about one through four. Uh, the annuals are where that's different, the like little annual scenario books, because there we have scenarios for all the, the games in the series. Yeah. And I wonder sometimes if that was like the right way to do it, because I, I understand not wanting to... Like, I would get annoyed having to buy two games to play a third. Yeah. But at the same time, it, it's been such a pain in the ass with the counters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, like, know trying to make... Yeah. The, there are some companies that are very emphatic about like, even if I've got eight games that all use the exact same system, um, when David Heath took over lock and load, he's, th- th- this was a philosophy he shifted to. He's got, he's got seven or eight games in the lock and load tactical line. And there may be an expansion, but that expansion is for that one specific game in the, in that, the yeah. lock and load tactical line. So if you get, um, you know, the, Band of Heroes, the World War II in Normandy one, if there's a bulge expansion, you only need that one game to play that one. You don't have to go get like three or four other ones. The flip side of that is Avalanche Press with their Panzer Grenadier series. Like you look at some of the new game books they release and they've got the... uh the, the one that just came out about the Polish soldiers, the Polish regiments that fought for the French in 1940, the Polish exiles. And and you need like five other games to play everything that's that's in that book. Yeah, so I get it. Like if you're in if you're completely in the tank for Panzer Grenadier, the same way like some ASL guys like that is their lifestyle. That is the only thing they're playing. If you're that with Panzer Grenadier, you've got all those anyway. So no big deal. But oh, like yeah. if you just wanted to play something about the Polish exiles because you had a great grandfather that fought with them and you want to explore some of that like you got to go buy like four other games to play all of that <laughs> you know yeah yeah Seems a little so, nice. I, so I, I, we do try to avoid that now we have this expansion coming out the table battles in a couple days which um it has card art people have been yelling at me about me wanting card art for for years now and i've said no and so I, I, it makes sense for this one because this so this expansion um, it's called Doom and it is a s- series of six battles where one the sides can't win. There is no victory condition for that side, in fact. But you are playing a match consists of three of those battles and you are you are scoring points and then cumulatively if your cumulative score from those three battles hits a certain threshold and that threshold can change depending on what happens in the game. Um, then, you know, you've lost all those battles, but you fought really hard, even though everything was against you. And, and then you 
you win. And it's a whole different uh, approach to, to the game. To the, like there, there, there's specific rules here that don't allow it to work with, you know, other expansions or whatnot. Yeah. And yeah. I really like this direction. But like, if I if I do like an expansion to this expansion, like, is that feasible? I don't know. I, I don't know how many people want to buy an expansion to an expansion. You know what I mean? Yeah, so let's have to see how it how it goes. I definitely, you know, to a degree, war games are a luxury product. Board games are, are especially like anyone who's like strapped for cash and trying to make the, the, the purchases really carefully they're probably not looking at one of my weird things yeah. as like their purchase for the year but um i do try to make i do remember being poor and, and saving up for games and you know i do try to give good value so i try to be uh, cognizant of that i guess you know it's- as you're describing it, I'm thinking, you know, table battles, moral victory. You know, it's the, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's it's a matter of how well you did in losing. You know, <laughs> yeah. So like, and it lets me do some battles that I never would have done before. Like, I I, I had the battle of Canny in here. Yeah. That's great. I. I never would have thought I'd be able to do that. I have uh, the Battle Trafalgar. I've never done a naval battle before. Oh, wow. But, um, you know, in actually ever in anything. I was I did a naval war game once. I, I started working on one. It didn't work. So that's why no one's ever seen it. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that wouldn't stop some other publishers just because the game doesn't work. Doesn't mean they're not going to release it. <laughs> no, that, I'm aware. <laughs> So as uh, I used to work for some of those publishers, well, I wasn't going there. Um, <laughs> I, I do think the origin story of table battles was kind of fun. Like you had some leftover sticks from another game design and started trying to figure out what to do with them. So I do think that's entertaining. Yeah. Specifically, uh, we published a game by Richard Berg called Dynasty. We needed sticks uh, for that, for the, the, the great wall and the canals he had in there in order to get the best price for six people to order a bunch of them and so I had a bunch of sticks and like well what am I going to do with these and I'm make a game with it and I did and it became like our, our best seller and uh, you know about a year before he died I, I talked to Richard on the phone only time I got to talk to him on the phone and I remember uh, he picked up the phone asked him how he was doing so I'm doing great I'm just leaving nasty comments for people on Facebook that's what makes my heart happy <laughs> that's, that's great for you Richard that's, that's so good and I told him about, about the table battles thing, like in passing. And I said, you know, thank you. Because if it's not for your game, I we wouldn't have, have, have uh, done this. And it's been like a huge hit. And he said, does that mean I get a cut? And I was like, no, no, you don't. You don't get a cut of that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you do have my gratitude. The, uh, the nasty comments on Facebook sounds like classic Richard. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, I always found him entertaining and charming. But I was never on, I was never on the... Uh, the other end of it and i don't know i i i sometimes mary generally handles the customer service because i am not always as polite or civil as perhaps people would expect me to be (laughs) so like i i I get where richard's coming from yes i remember someone once asked him like could you try to be nicer and he said and he said uh i'll try being nicer when you try being smarter and that that Mike, you're 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 not jumping in here much. No, it's been a long, long week. <laughs> I'm not letting you off the hook that easy. I know. All right. So you'd mentioned we've got the uh, the doomed expansion for Table Battles coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, that, like you said, it, it's it's out by the time people are listening to this, although not yet quite as we are recording it. Um, w- without you know giving away any state secrets, you shouldn't or that would get you in trouble. Um, <laughs> what what else? 
might we be looking at on the the near horizon coming from from Hollandspiel here? Yeah, well, we actually have a pretty aggressive slate this year because uh, we haven't released as many games the last couple of years, and uh, it's been a tough time for the industry generally. And so we came into this year wanting to release uh, several titles and um, to be more mindful of how we were targeting those. So we have a lot of a lot of solo games on the horizon, for example, because it turns out they'll sell. You look at if you look at the numbers, it turns out people like solo games. So uh, one that we have coming out is Comet. This is a design by Brand Smith, who did uh, NATO Air Commander and that others may live. It's about the Comet escape line in World War II. So um, that's a very you know interesting topic, and um, it's a really sharp game design and uh, card. It's, it's a card-driven um, you know solo game. Um, we have a Hex Encounter game. We haven't had one of those in a little while. Um, and that's uh, Beware the Ides of March by uh, John Tyson. That's coming out on March 15th. <laughs> that's how we have scheduled it. Gee. Um, we did that on purpose. <laughs> uh, and, and that's the Liberator Civil War. So, you know, after the death of, of Caesar. Um, okay. And it's an operational game, uh, very similar to his game, Antony Cleopatra, but uh, with some things a little simplified and some things a little more complicated, you know, to, to fit the particular circumstances. Uh, we have a game called Striking Flint, which is a cooperative game, our first cooperative game. I haven't done one of those before. Um, and that is about the uh, 1937... Uh, uh, Flint sit-down strike, uh, uh, automobile strike, uh, which was what led uh, General Motors to recognize the UAW. So it's a very important part of like American labor history that we we, we have a, a game for. Um, so th- those are like those are all coming out in the next I don't know uh, three months or so is the plan, um, which is, is short term. You know, uh, we have some things scheduled for later, which might be less of interest to your average uh, Armchair Dragoons listener. Like, I have a, a solo <laughs> game that's an alien civilization game, and the idea is it's presented as an artifact from an alien civilization. There is no actual rule book, just this, this set of glyphs that the aliens have given you. You have to decipher how to play the game before you play it. Um, so, like, that's a fun little experiment thing I'm doing for our... So we have a small box line now. So we have uh, our, our standard boxes uh, where we are doing games that are uh, either targeting like our core war game audience or are targeting like a crossover audience, like, uh, you know, our, our angry political games or whatnot. Or yeah. something like Striking Flint that has a lot of crossover appeal. And then we have the small box line, which are like cheaper experimental games. Because as we've tried to deal with rising production costs, because uh, the, the cost of our, of our production for some of our games has gone up like 30 to 40% in the last couple of years. And um, we finally raised our prices last year, but not by very much. Um to try to account for those production costs, especially on our, our I don't want to say more lavishly produced games, because you've seen a Holland Spiel game. It's not really yeah. lavish. There's no insert. And there's no, <laughs> people complain a lot. But, I haven't just seen them. I've got a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah, but we, uh, but we also wanted to have a line of cheaper games, uh, less expensive games that are a bit more experimental and avant-garde. So people have a taste for that, can can satisfy that without putting a lot of money into it. You know, so if you put twenty-five or thirty dollars into a game that's that takes some chances, uh, hopefully you'll you'll really enjoy that and and be really engaged by it. But if you're not. I feel like you'll be less mad at me than if you paid $70 for it. So, so this, this is 
we're talking Velocirapture or but then she came back. So yeah, like, yeah. Okay. So, so, so those are some small box games. And like uh, I have this one, City of Six Moons, which is the name of that Alien Civilization game that that, that fits in there. I have one I'm working on. <clears throat> I, I haven't announced it yet. Maybe I'll announce I'll announce it here. And maybe it won't come out. Maybe I won't be able to finish it. But I have a game coming. I have a game I'm working on called Let's Blow Up the Czar about the assassination of the Czar Liberator in uh, 1860, 70, whenever that was. Slowly working on this small experimental game about um, the the like terrorist bombing campaigns in Russia in the 19th century. So, uh, you know, th- those are some of the different things we're working on. Uh, we have a, a more Euro-y game this year about dragons delivering pizza called Dragon Pizza. We actually are getting custom dragon meeples made for that. And that's a whole new process for me because wow. I'm used to just using whatever components are like standardized components for like the manufacturers we work with. Yeah. But like no one has a standard dragon. So actually, um, we talked about our non-standard friends. dragons? <laughs> So we talked with our friends at uh, Leader Games, and what's happening is as they're getting production done on one of their games, they are ordering these dragons for us, and we're just going to pay them for it. Um, okay. Which is, is, is a whole, like, I, I had to do, like, a spec sheet. I've never done a spec sheet before in my life. I don't know how this works. Oh, wow. You're growing up. You're becoming a big company. You didn't want to, and yet here you are. Uh, I don't think we're a big company. We're, we're bigger, though. Like, we definitely... We have more attention than we used to have, you know, that, um, yeah, I was going to get to that. (laughs) Okay. Well, (laughs) well, then I'll, I'll let you, I'll I'll let you get, I, it feels really conceited to bring it up myself. So I'll I'll let you you want to dive into you showing up in the uh, mass media here. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Mike, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, uh, Amabel was the star of a significant magazine piece in a national magazine. Yeah, no, I did hear that. And actually, I, I, I still need to go back and read the uh, article, a rather lengthy article. I did go take a look at it, and I was pretty impressed by the length of the article. So I'm looking forward to reading that, actually. Yeah, so I, <laughs> how did that come about? I mean, how, how much of the backstory are you allowed to share? Versus, oh, I, I, like, I'm, I'm allowed like, to share the backstory. So um, <laughs> so what happened is that uh, this this writer, uh, Matthew Hudson, was doing an article about modern board games and how much they've changed in the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And he interviewed a lot of people. He talked to Reiner Knizia and Cole Worley and Elizabeth Hargrave and... Um, a couple of them said, oh, you should talk to Amabel. So he reached out to me and said, okay, yeah, I'll talk to you about board games, sure. And I told him, like, my thoughts on the industry and, and, and more, you know, the art form, what's cap- what it's capable of, you know, my whole deal. And he reached out to me, like, a couple months later and was like, uh, hey, could I come to Michigan and want you design a game for a couple days? And this, that felt weird to me, but I was like, oh. Okay, uh, sure, you can do that. I get. I my my thinking is, oh, he's just gonna do this with all these designers. Like, if you can get the New Yorker to pay for like a you know a vacation to to visit, yeah, I I would do that. So that's yeah. what logically I assumed was happening. And then when he came to Michigan and like showed up at at the door of of the apartment where I lived with uh, with Sal and my partner, um, he uh he 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 like introduced himself to her and then explained that uh well, you know, I, he had been interviewing different people and then he and his editor decided to shift the focus of the article to be about me. And that is the moment when I realized that, that what had happened. 
Because it did not occur to me. Because, uh, like, he, again, he talked to, like, real designers, the people that heard of whose games are in stores. So, like, why why would you do an article focused on me when you could do one focused on Reiner Knizia or Cole Worley, right? Um, and so it was a really surreal experience. And uh, so he visited for a couple days in March of last year. And then, like, the last week of December, I get an email from a fact checker from The New Yorker. I wanted to check the facts before the thing goes to print. So there's that whole long period of waiting for the thing to come out, knowing that there was going to be an article coming out and hoping that it would come out like before my sale. That would have been great. It came out after <laughs> the sale. But um, and we did get some bump in uh, sales, but not um, not to the degree I think where um, you know I was worried. I was worried would have a whole bunch of people buying our games. And, you know, the article doesn't really mention the print on demand nature of the games or of the components. Yeah. So I feel like a bunch of people new to modern board games buying Hollenspiel games would have that could have went that could have been very mm-hmm. bad. Like when we did Infamous Traffic, we had people open paypal disputes because the board wasn't mounted wow you know they, they thought because because they came to it with like a euro game um expectation yeah uh. and and they won those paypal disputes i'm so angry about that <laughs> nowhere did we say it would be mounted or have an insert or anything like that um so i'm always worried about like suddenly getting a lot of attention for something uh, from people who might not realize that they kind of have to meet us halfway yeah but uh it turned out to be like a really positive experience actually gave me like a lot of like confidence in myself which i haven't really had historically and i mean it's led to um so there are other media coverage opportunities that are in the works of forthcoming as a result of that that's pretty good um it gave me a little extra attention for my video essays even though they weren't mentioned in there at all but i i I assume like there was an uptick i assume that's what it was about and and that's pretty good and those video essays led me getting a book deal i'm writing a book right now about game design so uh wow. yeah so like it's all it's all working out pretty well. i'm very busy uh turns out uh writing a book puts uh takes up a lot of time trying to do video essays like once a month takes up a lot of time running a board game company uh my various uh, social engagements they all they all take up a lot of time so i'm, I'm a little stretched in these days but um i think it's all gonna be worth it so that let me ask you going back you said matthew's contacted you and said he wanted to come down a couple of days and watch you design mm-hmm. I, I, i've never designed a game and, and as busy as it sounds like you are i can't imagine i mean what would that entail it's like what is he going to see are you do you carve up time i'm going to sit down and we're going to create the counter portion of the game today and then tomorrow or we're going to do the map and the rule so book. so i i purposefully waited on finalizing some <laughs> card design so I could have something to do because the thing is watching someone design a game is the most boring thing because there's a lot of like time in, in one's head and a lot of time on a computer but you know I had some some rough black and white components with black and white art for um, Kaiju Table Battle which was the game that I was designing while we were talking and that was kind of like partially a focus of the article and um, so I was still figuring out some of the, the powers of some of the monsters so I did spend some time like with my little index cards talking through my thought processes I was doing it, which I was very self-aware about because I'm not I'm I'm a very intuitive um thinker. I don't really communicate well as I'm thinking. Like there was a period of time when I was making feature films and I knew what I wanted and I could I could make it happen. I had to set up the camera, make it happen. But if someone else is doing the camera, 
I can't explain to them what I want or why I want that. So it was it was a little nerve wracking, but it came across okay in the article. Mostly, uh, we just talked to him about games and answered questions. You know, I had Sawan there with me, and she's a lot more articulate than I am, so she was able to help me along through it. And uh, then we played some board games, so, so, which are more um, you know modern uh, Euroy kind of games. That was really kind of more the focus of the article. I didn't want to scare off the New Yorker with some hexes encounters, you know. <laughs> Darn. <laughs> Would have loved to have seen some hexes encounters in the New Yorker. So I, I do wonder how many folks might have seen something about the games in the uh, in the article and then like went to Target and looked on the shelf to try to find something from Hollenspiel. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a problem. Well, just because they don't know any better. Like the, yeah. for, for folks that are outside the hobby game world, the idea of a hobby game store just seems weird. Like games are over in the toy department in Target or maybe at a, a specialty toy store, but that's not something you go to a hobby game store to find. Like that's filed between Monopoly and Parcheesi and sorry, because that's all they know. Yeah. <clears throat> And they, and they don't know any better. And so they don't know that there's a store, you know, the the FLGS that is stocking everything except Monopoly and Sorry and Parcheesi and Scrabble, right? I mean, it, it, if you don't know it exists, you don't know to look for it. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wonder how many folks were confused by, oh, hey, there's this really cool designer and these things sound really neat. And well, crap, where the hell do I find these things? <laughs> you know, and so. Yeah. Um, well, well, well hopefully, I, I'm pretty easy to, you know, I'll say, I'll say the thing about me when, when, when I chose my name for myself. I'm very easy to Google. <laughs> you're not yeah. you're not going to come across anyone else. There are a few other people with the same name. You know, it, it, it's a it's an existing name, but uh, there there aren't many of us, and you, you find me pretty quickly. I think it's Brent showing his age. It's like we we think in terms of you can't go find this on the shelf somewhere, but the younger generation they they know how to Google and find things online. So. The bigger concern, I think, would be, like you said, that they open up the box and they're, where's my mounted map board and where's my uh, little 3D mm -hmm. characters and things? Mike, yeah. what, what demographic do you think is reading The New Yorker? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that I can't tell you. I, I tell you, I used to read The New Yorker quite a bit back in the day. Very, well, very I, get <laughs> I get that but like the three of us are on a different place of the bell curve than the majority of you yeah. know, the, the, the american pie even probably among the majority of other new yorker readers we're just somewhere else i, I just and I, you know this was a an online article from the new yorker because they have online articles and articles in the magazine so it wasn't like in the magazine so this so. one never went to print yeah i never went to, it was just online so ah, which, which makes more sense to me because like i I think it would be buck wild if I was like in in the actual pages of the New Yorker. That would feel like how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, I should have guessed because you didn't have like a framed copy of it hanging on the wall behind you in the video here. So you know. <laughs> oh, I I would I'm I would yeah. probably have a copy. I wouldn't have framed though. I don't put a lot of I don't put a lot of stock in, into things and yeah. I don't I don't frame things very much. I, I'm not a sentimental person. I don't hold on to a lot of things like um the only reason i have copies of my Spiel games is so i can reference the rules i probably would not hold on to most of them frankly i mean i like them they're good I don't, i'm not I'm not trying to not sell you on them <laughs> but like i just once i'm done with the game i very seldom return to them onto the next thing yeah you know that's foreign to me i'm like that with books too i'm better with books now but i used to hold on to every book that i ever read okay no no <laughs> Books, I have a problem because I have. 
At Mary's house, um, there are about 5,000 books the two of us collected over time. And a couple thousand DVDs or Blu-rays. And I have started collecting vinyl records. So, like, there are some things I, I do collect, but... Um, but other things I'm just, I'm not sometimes about things that I make as much, you know, I, I, I tend to approach, like, I, I, I've heard people, like, I was talking to, to, to uh, Fred Serval, um, on, on his show some time ago, and he was like, you know, you have all 80 games, they can't all be good. I'm like, no, I, th- I think they're all good. You know, even the bad ones are good, I think, but, but they're, you know, I'm not like Cole Worley where like I'm designing these major statements. I am designing something more immediate, something more like 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 a zine or a monograph than yeah. some total cohesive work. And so in that sense, once I'm done with something, I do tend to just move on to the next thing pretty quickly. It's interesting you describe it that way as as almost sort of the the a zine in the game design. Like this is this is what I cared about and what I was focused on at that point in time. And now I've moved on to a different point in time, and and that's not something that that I'm in a hurry to return to compared to something like you know Root that Cole's been got got a lot of mileage out of Root over the last you know seven eight years whatever and uh it, it you know to his eternal credit you know it's it's yeah no it's a phenomenal game yeah yeah it's it, it's a great game but just the the variety that they're not all spinoffs but taking that that intellectual property that was developed as a part of that and then you know growing that through different expansions and now there's the role-playing game and there's the different you know permutations on the original game that uh you know that 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 is a very different approach to to, to kind of a tentpole item versus, you know, your quick and, hey, this is what I was thinking about at the time, and now I'm at a different place, and I'm going to do something different, you know? Yeah. Um, I think when I talked to, to Fred, the example I used, because I, I, I do a lot of film examples. My background really was, like, film studies, you know? I didn't go to college or anything, but, like, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and I immersed myself, and I used to watch so many movies. Uh, but the, the example I used was, like, you have a director, like, like, Stanley Kubrick or something where you know he does 11 12 films and it takes a few years between them and they're all these 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 major works and you have a filmmaker like Rainer Werner Fassbender who does 43 films in like 12 years before he dies of a drug overdose and um I I I'm not going to do that last part but yeah d- doing 43 films in like 10 or 12 years that that sounds great <laughs> just, there's just there's just too much to express too much to explore that that you know and there's not enough time so I just I do it and I do it quickly and I, I do it thoughtfully and some things take longer than others West Folly it took about 10 years altogether Endurance took about 6 years but during that I'm also working on other things, you know. Yeah. The uh there was a thing that I saw online and and it shared in a few places that you know, you've got all and, and you'll you've got a giant book collection, so this is not a foreign concept to you, but just it's not necessarily that you're going to plow through every one of those books at some time in your life, but you want to have the right book on your shelf for the right moment in time for when and how you need it in your life at a certain yeah. place. And and you know, I made the comparison to those of us that buy way too many war games and have way too many games on our shelf. Right, Mike? And uh, 
that that it's you know you've got you you want to be able to have the right game on the shelf for the right time at the right point in your life and it, it almost the way you're describing it almost kind of sounds like that's a bit of a design approach that you take you want that to be the right sure. design for that point in kaiju table battles as a for instance like that's something yeah. for a particular point in time in your life that was a, a statement about I, i'm not trying to put words in your mouth but that kind of seems to me what you were describing yeah oh absolutely The 12th season of Mentioned and Dispatches is made possible by all of our Patreon supporters who pledged at the top level. The Armchair Dragoons would like to thank Michael Sunvorg, Fred and his dog, Chet Bell, Hellcat Six, Patrick Garrity, Stagger Wing, Kevin Bertram, Mike Quigley, Martok and Joseph Knoll for their support of the Regiment of Strategy Gaming, which helps us bring you the best strategy gaming articles, events, and this podcast. You can join us as a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash armchairdragons. I don't think there's anything wrong with people buying a bunch of war games and not playing them. You you are encouraged to do that, especially for Houndsfield titles. Um, you know, and there's a joy to collecting a thing. You know, I mean, I put a, a lot of value in having a thing, but, like, there's a joy in acquiring things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know. Like, uh, I used to go to a lot of thrift stores, and um, that's where I started building the record collection, which is very small, but, you know, it brings me joy. Um, and specifically, I look, like, for, for records from, like, Command Records, a, a label that did a lot of... Uh, innovations in like stereo and that but um i also if i see an avalon hill game on a shelf i will buy it i i have i have tactics two in africa core and i'm not on d-day i'm not gonna play them i tried playing d-day it's terrible but uh <laughs> but i i i like the graphic design i, I like having the old thing i might not keep it forever but um, you know, it brings me joy to to have gotten it, to have found it. You know, that 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 chase is nice. And you know, I've been rereading um, uh, Jim Dunnigan's book, the Complete War Games Handbook. He talks about people who just who just read a game, who just buy a game just to read the rules and look at the counters and never play it. And that's perfectly valid, I think. You know, so <laughs> I I don't get behind a self a, a, a shelf of shame at all. You know, I think I I, I think. There should be no shame in what brings us joy. Yeah, I know somebody that collects role-playing game books and, and never never plays them, but reads them. I think he's that's on like, the... That's like every role-playing game player. <laughs> <laughs> you been looking in the mirror again there, Mike? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you see my avatar there, exactly. Yeah. I uh, I I may I may have a passing resemblance to that remark slightly. Uh, I've been known to do that with a couple of war games over the years as well. Not quite as bad as I am with role playing games, but um, I'm I am curious, Ambell. When you see those older Avalon Hill games and snag them, does that only apply to the war games or the non war games as well? Did you ever pull a copy of Lie, Cheat, and Steal or acquire? from a thrift store somewhere oh yeah so um i love acquire acquire is one of my favorite games and um yeah i definitely i have got of acquire um or is that no i don't have the avalon hill i, I have the 3m the 3m okay. i'll get the 3m games um and yeah i have gotten a couple of the avalon hill games that aren't the war games but actually the war games are the ones that are the most comp well, the most common one is outdoor survival, yeah. and I I got one of those that was too too many. So we 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 have we have cast aspersions on outdoor survival many times uh, over the years, and in fact, earlier this very season of the podcast have done. Oh, so. I'm sure it's because it's atrocious. 
Yeah. But isn't that hard to find and really expensive now, though? I don't know. I, I run across it a lot. Like, oh, really? Huh. The it, only it thing was I've one of their best sellers because that's the one that in the original Dungeons White Fox era of D&D, yeah. yeah. Dynax said, go get a copy of Outdoor Survival and use those maps. Yeah, yeah I so, thought it was really hard to find. Maybe not. Yeah, so I, I've seen it at a lot of thrift stores, at least in Michigan. The only thing I've seen like more reliably is the soundtrack to Dash of Vago that shows up everywhere. I don't understand it. <laughs> That's funny. That's not one I would have thought of. <laughs> so, oh, yeah, I, I just, you know, people think of Avalon Hill as the the standard bearer for classic war games, and it kind of is, but they're... Uh... People forget that there were a lot of non-war games that they published as well over the years, especially in the early days. Oh yeah, and uh, and and some of those were fairly entertaining. Um, yeah, so I, I was just curious when you when you ran across them, you know, if you saw a Challenge Bridge, hey, you know, on the shelf somewhere, did you did you snag that one also? I haven't come across that one, but if I did, I I, I probably would. You know, I, I came, I got a copy of uh, of um, Class Struggle. The yeah, nineteen, I, I tend to prefer the nineteen sixties, fifties Avalon Hill stuff. You know, obviously. Like, was Class Struggle the one with uh, Mark's arm wrestling with somebody on the cover? Yeah, on the cover, yeah. <laughs> I, actually, I actually just wrote about that for that book that I'm writing. Oh, wow. So. <laughs> as, as we're approaching our hour, Mark, we're, we're not yeah. quite there yet, but I, uh, I I have made the commitment to both the audience and the editor to try and keep these to a manageable length this time. I did want to ask you about, I know some designers uh, ha, ha, are will absolutely avoid any review or commentary on their designs at all. Some designers have particular reviewers they enjoy reading about. Some designers want to see everything they possibly can see about their feedback from their games. I, and, and I'm, I'm not 100% sure which camp you fall into. There is a particular review I did want to ask you about, though. Um, Space Biff, Dan Thoreau, uh, his review of But Then She Came Back really yeah. gave me a great sense of the game. That review was literature. And and it was, I, I wish I could write a review that good. Uh, because it, it it was that good. I, I don't know if you've seen it. If mm -hmm. you haven't, it is a great positive review. Um, but but one that that is just enjoyable to read, even if you're never going to touch the game. Um, yeah. Dan, Dan, uh, Dan is a hell of a writer. And, and yes. A, a very effective pro stylist and it's exactly the kind of board game writing i i like to read i don't i don't want like a rating of like the component quality and how many stars it is replay the I want actual writing that actually engages with the game and is kind of personal. So Dan is definitely, I'll, I'll read reviews Dan does of games I have no interest in, but um, I, I do, I do read the comments. I do, I do read the reviews because, you know, I, I, all my games are kind of niche, right? And so they don't get a lot of media coverage. They don't, um, I don't get the same kind of feedback you do if you really like when Irish Gage came out from Capstone Games that, that I had designed. Like, I got a lot of feedback very quickly, more than I could ever usefully sift through. But for the stuff I put out through Holland Spiel, you know, it's um, every comment becomes more important, which does mean that you know, the negative comments are the dumb ones, um, you know, irk me a little more, but also, you know. 
having having that negativity act it, it does help because it gives me like useful doubts i have to grapple with it and think oh is this person right about this and maybe they are and i can do better going forward or maybe they're not and grappling with that helps me understand why i made the decisions i did because again i tend to work more intuitively uh so i don't always have like a full understanding of why i did a thing just it, you know it felt right yeah um yeah, yeah I, I probably shouldn't read the comments because i will say um not so much on board game geek which has been pretty chill but uh i certainly you know after i figured out my gender nonsense uh certainly there are some comments that reflect people's thoughts about that about that personal thing uh or how i live my life generally uh and like i don't need to be exposed to that as much but um Nobody needs to. Yeah, but you know, it, it's part of the. I really envy people. I really envy people who who don't read the comments. Who can you can do that? Like, um, my partner Salwin, <clears throat> she runs a YouTube channel. Uh, she did professionally. She plays video games for a living. That's what she does full time for for her money. And she does not read the comments ever. Does not read or engage with them, engage with them at all. Um, and they're all positive. I've seen the comments that she has, but I I, I can't imagine knowing people are talking about me and not wanting to look at it. I have a question for you. For I have a question for your editor. So in in your episodes, you you have the 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 little transition thing with with the 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 horse hooves and the haha. Yes, I've been wanting to ask him about this for a while too. So this ought to be good. What? Where is that from? What is it? How did, did you get some folly artists together? Like what, what happened there? Some of them are some, some uh, public domain sound effects. Some of them uh, were recorded from snippets of other media um, where it's one of those get just long enough that you're not going to violate any copyright where you're still staying within fair use. Um, a couple of the voices are people who may or may not be in this house with me presently. And okay. just through the miracle of audio editing, you can speed up, slow down, change pitch, whatever. The 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 British girl that does the Patreon thank you segment is actually not British at all. It's my daughter. She just happens okay. to have a really good British accent. Allow me to rephrase, because right now half the people over in the UK are going, the hell she does. She, she has an accent that sounds pretty darn British to most Americans. Uh, and... And, uh, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's cobbled together from a lot of places. So uh, a lot of it is public domain sound effects and, and I've got a decent library of them built up where I've had to go looking for certain things as I put them together. So it's so. not AI. No, <laughs> no. I'm not even sure. Can, can AI do sound effects like that yet? Probably. Probably. Maybe. I don't do we know. Are you doing that? No, probably not. But but no, it's it's me layering a lot of stuff on uh, different things with audacity. Uh, one of them where you hear the firing lines with the rifles, it's it's two or three gunshots just repeated a whole bunch of different times. And then, uh, you know, later go back and slap the bugle calls on the front and back of them as needed. So, uh, but yeah, it's Honestly, before you asked Amabel, I thought I thought the aha guy was Jim Ozarski doing that for, for Brent. No, no, that one's not Jim. There's a uh, it, it's it's almost a bit of an audio scrapbook. Right. And you just sort of pull out what you need when you need it and kind of piece okay. them together. I'm glad I asked that. I've been wondering this for how long is this? 12 years, 12 seasons. I've been wondering this for years. 
Yeah. So the that back in our previous podcast home, the guitar riff stuff that we had way back when on the old show, uh, that was actually my former on-air partner when I worked at the radio station here in Raleigh back in the early 90s. Um, Andy is still a playing guitarist. He, uh, he actually, he, he plays in a, uh, he, he does some local session stuff. He lives out in, uh, out in Arizona. He does some local session stuff, but he also plays in a journey tribute band these days, actually. Uh-huh. Uh, he's, he's played in a couple of different bands, but he did, he did some custom guitar stuff for us for the old show way back when he was just a little too busy to, to try and do something for us this time. I still hope to prevail upon him to get a good riff out of him one of these days that, that we can uh, we can add that to our audio scrapbook for sound effects as we go. Okay. Some of the effects I've kind of fallen out of love with. And so some of the, some of the little bumpers have, have dropped out of circulation and I've added some different ones. Um, there's, there's a pair of new ones this year that I'm hoping people get a chuckle out of as we go. So just don't, when you, when you, when you do a transition, just don't, play a three minute long song like some podcasts do i, bet you no. nuts. I hate no. that oh. <laughs> i no. yeah i i always i know what podcast you're talking about i think <laughs> uh i always fast forward to that to, to i do too songs, unless i really like them so i can, if, get, uh, I, I can get to the the interviews yeah <laughs> if, it, if it goes more than about 10 seconds i start trying to figure out how to edit them back down which is why one of the bumpers has dropped out of circulation because it was a little too long i try to keep them close to five seconds at the most if i can no that that makes sense like like you know i'm doing those video essays now about, about game design and then what game playing and whatnot and i try to keep them real short like 12 15 minutes 20 minutes maybe a lot of video essays are like an hour or two i, I couldn't do that i couldn't do them that long that's i i don't have the attention span for that myself you know and i i, I want to be real mindful of people's time you know yeah yeah and and again that goes back to one of the reasons why i do want to keep some of these episodes a little shorter mm-hmm. is is looking back over the last couple of seasons our episode length had been creeping up and up and up and if you go back to the the first two seasons we were reliably right around an hour unless it was a special episode like the compass catalog episode or talking about the charlies or or something some some key event that was dragging it out closer to hour and a half two hours because we had a long list of stuff to do but the ones where we didn't have like a defined agenda like that um Mm -hmm. even over the last couple of seasons they've been creeping further and further up and and at some point like i'm very happy the audience is interested enough to stay with them for that long and that's great but on the other hand like I hope people aren't commuting two hours at a time that they're stuck with the entire podcast at that point. Yeah. <laughs> that we sort of break it up a little. Um, so, so that's, that's what I was kind of angling for there. Uh, yeah. You know, with what yeah. we're asking. So Mike, what, what else you got for Amabelle? Anything springing to mind? Want to talk about solo gaming a bunch there? Because like, that's sort of your thing. It's one of my things. Now it sounds like there's some solo games coming out um, that you have. One thing I will, I did want to point out, I think you said it was city of six moons was the alien game where you yeah. had to decipher the rules before you played. I j- just want you to be aware that, that your that game will not be the first game where I've had to decipher a rule book in order to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will not name any names, but <laughs> well, hopefully it's the first Holland Spiel game where you had to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It will be that. 
Okay. Yeah, Mike, the fact that you've got a plural after that, you know, that that alone is sort of an indictment of the, the wargaming world as a whole. So, And I was um, also happy to hear, I think you said that Wars of Marcus Aurelius was actually, you sold more copies of that than you did uh, Stilico. And everybody I've ever talked to goes, oh, Stilico is the better game. It's the better game. And I've never played Stilico, but I just, it's like, can't imagine so- that being... <laughs> So, so I do think Stilico is more polished and uh, certainly is prettier to look at. Um, I, I think it is a stronger a stronger game, a stronger implementation of it. But it also came out like two or three years after the first one did. So the first one has quite a head start on it. Yeah. You know, and like they're, they're actually like, like Stilico is also in that list and they're all pretty close like after the after the first few in that list like they're all kind of clustered together and you know what i gave was the representation of today and that position might jock you the next month or two you know yeah yeah, well, but I, I think you find that out of most series is that things that share a similar DNA as they, you know, as the years go on, the designer is learning from experience. The, you know, the feedback from the audience helps refine the design going forward. You just get better at what you're doing that that the later ones should be more polished. And if they, they weren't, that would be cause for concern um, to, to an extent, but. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do have one last question for you and, uh, and 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 not not trying to drag this out too much long, but I am curious um, uh, of the designs that you've run across when you've just played stuff for fun. And I know there's a limited amount of that time, given everything else that you've already listed that you're busy working on. Is there is there some particular game out there that you've sat down and played it and and not just had a good time playing it, but went, damn, I really wish I'd designed this thing. This is this is so good. I really wish I had this somewhere in my resume. Um, the most recent. game game that where i had that experience was uh turncoats by matilda simonson i i just i felt head over heels for that game i think is a really smart elegant design is absolutely absolutely it's deserving of all the accolades it's gotten in the two or three years since it's come out um and uh i i i table it fairly often like if there's a game night i have brought my copy of turncoats to start the game, the game night off with Okay. All right. So, folks, turncoats. I'm Link. writing it down now. Yeah. <laughs> Link is down below. Um, check it out and uh, and and see if you agree with Amabel that this is this is that fantastic. So, um, all right. As we wrap this up, uh, Amabel, was there anything that we needed to get to tonight and didn't? Some massive announcement or proclamation or anything that you wanted to throw out there that we managed to not steer the conversation to at some point along the way? I don't think so. You did an excellent job as always. Well, that'll go to my head. <laughs> <laughs> and and Mike, I think we've we've hit all the stuff you wanted to hit somewhere in there, right? I think so. I'll just finish it by saying the uh, the last Hollenspiel game. I played was endurance and awesome game. I, it's it's thank you. It's it's the one game I've played that after I was done playing it, it was just it's just it's, it's a feeling game. It's this feeling you have as you're playing it, and it, it it's very unique. And and when I got to the part when they were getting into the lifeboats and I saw the, the mechanic of of the gameplay, I thought there's there's where did this come from? This is no way this is going to work. But it did, and it was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> it's a great game. It's a game you play and you don't feel 
happiness when you walk away from it. You kind of you're thinking, why didn't Mrs. Chippy make it? But <laughs> it's it's just a great design. Thank you very much. That's, that that is very kind and very gratifying to hear. So. Well, cool. Audience, you've made it to the end of this episode of uh, of Mentioning Dispatches. We appreciate you sticking with us. We appreciate Amabel coming by to see us. And we'll try not to have a three-year gap between this one and your next, <laughs> okay. your, your next visit with us. And uh, and Mike, appreciate you being here. I think you're back next week, too, again, right? Maybe? Yeah, I'll have, I'll have to be more chatty, I guess, next week. This is just a slow, bad week for me, I guess. Well, way to go. Way to, <laughs> way, to, way to drag the show down and be an anchor on the... I mean, yeah. the one time you have one of the better guests on, and I'm just, ah. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so so audience, no, definitely thank you for being here. Uh, look, if you do get a chance, uh, we are still trying to get enough, you know, recommendations or ratings or whatever we need to start showing up in the recommendation engines on the different uh, the different podcast service providers. We are on Spotify now, so you had a chance to rate the show over on Spotify or uh, or Amazon Music or Apple Music slash iTunes or any of those places. Um, again, just whatever rating you feel is, is appropriate, please throw one at us so that we can start getting enough of them to be showing up in the recommendation engines. That's that's really kind of what we're after. Um, you know, tell your friends, tell your family, uh, tell people you don't like if you think that's what's appropriate for, uh, you know, inflicting this on them um we're just trying to spread the word about mentioning dispatches and hope you have a good time listening to us um so so appreciate amabel carving time out of what sounds like a really damn busy schedule um but but thank you and uh and and we'll catch you next time on our next episode of mentioning dispatches